Welcome again to another edition of From the Preacher's Study. My name is Kevin Clark. I'm a member here at the Oak Mountain Church of Christ, and along with Bob Hutto, who's the preacher here. Uh, we've been doing this uh, for a couple weeks now, and uh, we're looking for last week we had some glitches. So if you were looking for us, you didn't find us, that's the reason. Uh, but going forward, we think that we've smoothed out all the glitches. But really appreciate you being with us. We're doing a study of the book of Ephesians uh, and taking it in kind of short, digestible bites at a time, if you will. Uh, last time, you may remember, for those of you that tuned in, uh, we were looking at the power of prayer, and we made uh, reference to the fact that Paul himself was saying to the Ephesian brethren that he knew of their faith and their love, and was very impressed with that, and it led him to give thanks for them, and then the avenue of prayer to God, and making mention of them in his prayers. And we just, um, I think Brother Bob issued a challenge to all of us to think about Christians and others like them that uh, really means something to us. Uh, maybe it's a brother in Christ, maybe it's a, uh, a parent who led you to Christ, maybe it's an elder, maybe it's a preacher that you really connected with. It could be just an average member that did something that was very helpful to you. But remember those folks in Christ, remember your brethren, because they're, they're set apart. You know, we're supposed to do good into everybody, but there's something special, especially into the household of faith. And here he shows a preference for those in terms of the prayers, remembering them. Uh, we talked about the fact that, you know, the prayers are to be in Christ, and Christ is the agency, the avenue, and by his authority, we offer these prayers. And I think Bob had said that, you know, sometimes uh, people will ask us to pray, and we try to make a point to give them notice that we're happy to pray, but we want to do it in the name of Jesus Christ, by his authority. Uh, we are a representative of Christ, and we wear that name uh, as a badge of honor, not for ourselves, but because of Jesus. We think so highly of him, and we're so honored to be a part of his family. And so uh, this time we're going to move a little bit deeper into some of the things that Paul was praying for specifically. Uh, one of the points we made last time, Bob, if you remember, is that not only should we pray for spirit, uh, physical things for our brethren, but we should pray for spiritual things, which is exactly what we see here uh, when Paul prays for things that, like the eyes of their understanding be enlightened, that they know what's the hope of their calling, uh, know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And this last one I want to focus on for purposes of this particular episode, uh, verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And so again, these are things that he's praying for, for these brethren. And one of the things he prays for them is that they may know what is this greatness of the power of God that is working in us and toward us. And to emphasize that, to underscore that, he adds, this is the same power of God that was responsible for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And of course, that is a central tenet of Christianity that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified on the cross and three days later arose from the dead. And in fact, we made the point that if, you know, it really is unique among religions because if that point is not true, everything else about our religion uh, falls down. Paul makes that point very powerfully over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter verses 12 through 17. Let's just read that very quickly. Now, if Christ has preached, he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say, 
that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified to God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And so Paul makes it very clear here that he was addressing some folks who were saying that there was no resurrection of the dead. And it's almost like, do you realize what you're saying? Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then guess what? There's no salvation. There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no washing with the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not in the church. Our preaching is vain. That's futile. All, everything falls according to that central tenet. So if that's not true, then basically let's close up the doors, quit yeah, pretending right. because it doesn't mean anything. Well, I know I've got some notes here in my Bible. Yeah. I think there are six things, he says, yeah. six consequences yep. if Christ is not raised. Mm -hmm. Our preaching is vain. Mm -hmm. Our faith is vain. Right. Uh, we are false witnesses because yep. we, we've said he is raised from the dead. If he's not, we're false witnesses. Right. You're still in your sins. Mm -hmm. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have yep. perished. Yep. And we're pitiful people, you That's know. Right. So, That's right. So uh, there's so much riding on the resurrection of Jesus, uh, like you said. I mean, it's really the linchpin Absolutely. of the whole faith. If if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, now he he said he would. Be. Yeah, absolutely, he, he said yeah. he would be. Yeah. And if he's not, well, there's no reason for us to have confidence in him uh, and any of the other claims that he made about himself. Absolutely. If if that's not true. Yeah. And that you know, in John chapter twenty, mm -hmm. when Jesus presents himself to Thomas, mm -hmm. and Thomas realizes, this is. Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is the one that I've been with so so many times. Right. And I saw him. Yep. He he was killed. I see the print of the nails in his hands. Right. And he realizes this is this is Jesus raised from the dead. Amen. His response is my, Lord, my Lord and my God. Right. Everything about our faith rides on that on that one fact, the Absolutely. resurrection of Jesus. I, I couldn't help but think about Romans chapter one and verse four that talks about uh, maybe another uh, aspect of that significance, but it goes along the same point that you just made. Romans 1, 4 says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so that underscored and vindicated Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. He was declared to be such by the fact that he rose from the dead. And as you said, he made the statement multiple times that he would do this. I, I like John 10's statement about that, a uh, very powerful statement. And if this is not true, then it's like C.S. Lewis. He's a liar, the Lord, or he's a lunatic. And we know that he's the Lord. In John uh, chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 17, he says, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. And of course, that's a reference to him giving up his life on the cross willingly. And we know that that's exactly what happened, because you remember Peter, uh, who got a little carried away, tried to stop the process by cutting off the ear of the servant of the high priest, and, and Jesus rebuked him for that and reminded him, I'm in complete control. I can call down 12 legions of angels to stop this if that's the will of God. But the point was, it's not. He will willingly went to the cross, and he willingly rose from the dead. And that declares him to be the Son of God. Think about if had he not risen from the dead, uh, had it been a fraud, 
then it would have been exposed immediately. In fact, we know that even his enemies at that time tried to come up with a counter narrative that said, oh, you know, they just stole the body. That's the, that's the explanation for the empty tomb. No, the explanation is the Lord rose from the dead. That's just how central it is. And isn't it wonderful that God put in place all these assurances uh, that make it really, if one wants to believe what God has to say on this, you're going to yeah, believe right. in the resurrection of the dead. Well, another passage in which Jesus predicts his resurrection, mm -hmm. which is an important point in mm -hmm. all of this, Matthew chapter 16. Mm -hmm. Now, you remember that Peter confesses, Christ, yeah. confesses Jesus to be the Christ, uh, the good confession. From that time, verse 21 says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and mm -hmm. the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Right. And so Jesus is sharing with them, telling them, predicting now, this is what's going to happen to mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be killed, but I will be raised on the third right. day. Yep. And so he knew, and what a prediction that is to make. You know, it's, <laughs> it's one thing to say, well, I'm planning to go here right. and do this or that. But to predict you're going yeah. to be raised on the third day. Very specific. No, yeah. you know, no wonder when Thomas saw it, he realized the implications of it. Amen. You know, and the other thing, too, that's interesting, and as you said, there's so many things, as 1 Corinthians 15 pointed out, that rides on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think about Acts chapter 17, the sermon at Mars Hill. Uh, Paul made a point saying that uh, that particular event is an assurance that there will be a judgment day. So he says that the following, Acts chapter 17, begin verse 30, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. So that's the truth. The truth that Paul is preaching is there's going to be a judgment day. Everybody's going to be judged. Okay, listen to this. Then he says, He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so Paul right there proclaims that the resurrection serves many purposes, but in this particular context, it serves the purpose of reaffirming that there is life after death, there is going to be a judgment day, and the proof of that is Jesus being raised from the dead. If you believe that, then you also ought to believe there's life beyond the grave and the resurrection. I think also of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's the same concept, uh, and this, but, but done for a different purpose. This is preaching not to a pagan audience, but to a Christian audience, or writing to a Christian audience. And Paul says the following, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now listen to this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Notice the connection. He said, okay, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Then you also believe that there's life beyond the grave and those who have died in Jesus, yes, you sorrow, you miss their companionship, you miss being with them, but you know they still exist and you know that there's a spiritual reunion coming in heaven. And, and when I think about that, Bob, I can't help but think about a sister in Christ. One time I was preaching somewhere and we were talking about these kind of things and she had the misfortune of having lost her son who was a Christian uh, in a terrible natural disaster. And she made the point that one of the many things that motivates her to be faithful in Christ is the prospect of being reunited with her son in heaven. And I thought, well, she gets 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. That's the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can start, it's interesting, back in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, that uh, he gave assurance mm -hmm. that there would be a judgment by the resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. The resurrection is sure yeah. as well, isn't yes, it? it? If is. the resurrection is unsure, <laughs> right, right. Well, then the judgment that's is right. unsure. So yeah. it's implied that the resurrection is a sure thing. Yeah, that's all right. Of course, that's questioned by many people mm -hmm. today, but you know, we would encourage people, look at the evidence. That's right. 
you know, look at uh, in Acts chapter 26, you know, Paul raises the Mm -hmm. question, why is it considered incredible among you if God does raise the dead? That's right. Now, if God has the power to raise the dead, well, Mm -hmm. then that certainly is something that's possible. Is there evidence for it? And we think a good, thorough, objective look at the evidence will lead to the conclusion. Yes, yes, he's been raised. And if he's been raised, Amen. all of these things that we talked about, 1 Corinthians 15, right. are right. true. That's right. You know, if, they're, if he's not raised, these are untrue. But if he right. is raised, they are true. Right. And so everything rides on it. It really does. And a lot of times I tell people that everybody, every human being has to come to grips with the empty tomb. And you've got to assign some meaning to that. And whatever meaning you assign to that is going to have not only consequences in this life, but eternal consequences. If you uh, assign the correct meaning, which is Jesus rose from the dead, and you live according to that, then you're going to have eternal life in heaven. If you assign the wrong interpretation, uh, one that it didn't happen, or you don't believe it, or you don't think it has any implications for the rest of us, then you'll spend uh, an eternity separated from God. So we certainly don't want to do that. But getting back to our passage since our time is out, that again, the, the context of all this discussion is, again, Paul's prayer for these Ephesian Christians uh, that they may know and understand some things, one of which is the exceeding great power of God that works in them. And he makes the point, it's the same power that worked to raise Jesus from the dead. And so we're to take great comfort when we think about that magnificent day, that magnificent demonstration of power in raising Jesus from the dead. That same power works in us yeah. through Jesus Christ. Uh, Bob, you want to close us out with a word of prayer, please? Sure. sure. Our Father in heaven, we we bow before you at this time. We acknowledge your power and your strength and your might. And we pray, we're thankful, Father, that you have manifested that power in in the world in so many ways. We think especially at this time of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Not only was he raised from the dead, but he ascended to your right hand where he sits far above all rule and authority and power and uh, any, any rival uh, to, to him. He's above them and rules over them. And we're thankful, Father, that we too have the opportunity through him to experience your power in our lives. Most notably, Father, the power to forgive our sins in Christ. That even though we were dead in our sins, you've made us alive, just like you made Christ alive. You've made us alive through him and through the things that he's done for us. We pray, Father, that we will live our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to you in what we say and what we do, so that other people may see the living Christ in us and that they might be drawn to him and drawn into fellowship with him, with you, through him. We're so thankful again, Father, for your great love for us and the power that, that you uh, use and that you manifest in our lives each day. May we always be aware of it and thankful for it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.